For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, Jesus is mistaken for a crazy man and a devil. His response to these false accusations gives the believer great encouragement to not allow the opinions of the world to thwart them from living for God. Let's join Pastor Jim with a message entitled, A Sad Case of Mistaken Identity. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody to the sanctuary for this morning's Bible study, and if you have a Bible, you can open it to Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. And as I told you guys before, Pastor Ross is out of town celebrating his 29th wedding anniversary. Pastor Ross and his wife, they just blow me away. Such great people, such great examples for us to follow, been living for Jesus for so long, and isn't Pastor Ross the greatest pastor on the face of the planet? Amen. Phenomenal preacher, and so really my job today is to make you appreciate Pastor Ross's preaching all the more, and that shouldn't be too difficult for me to do. So Mark chapter 3, while you guys are turning there, I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you this morning just for the day that you have made. We think about our pastor and his wife, Barb. Thank you, Lord, for them. Thank you for just this gift to our fellowship, using them so powerfully to teach us and instruct us in your word and in your ways. We pray that today that they would have the time of their life as they just reflect on your goodness and your faithfulness to them and and the 29 years that they've spent together. So bless them. And Lord, I ask that you would bless us as we dig into your word. We wanna hear from you. And we know that your word is inspired and it's profitable for us. So I pray that you would take your Holy Spirit anointed word and my simple little message and make an impact in our lives today. Because it's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen? amen? All right, so. If uh, I were to title the article that I read in the news uh, quite some time ago, I would title it, A Sad Case of Mistaken Identity. And I quote, a Minnesota man on a hunting trip is suffering from multiple wounds after officials say he was accidentally shot twice by his hunting partner. So... Here's how the story goes, all right? So two guys, they decide we're gonna go out hunting, okay? And so they dress up in in full camo gear and they've got their rifles and they head out to the woods. And they get the bright idea that we should split up, you know? So let's split up. You both got guns, you're both blending in with your surroundings, why don't we split up, all right? Doesn't seem very smart to me. So they're out there in the woods and one of the guys thinks that he sees a turkey. And so he raises his rifle up and he takes aim and boom, he shoots that turkey. And then he sees what he thinks is that turkey flailing around on the ground. And so he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put that turkey out of its misery. And so he raises his rifle and boom, he shoots that turkey again. It wasn't until he heard the sound of moaning that he realized it was his friend. It was a sad case of mistaken identity, amen? 
Of course, the guy lived to tell the story. Now, our text today involves a sad case of mistaken identity where Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, is mistaken for a devil and a madman. And sadly, the world quite often looks at believers in the same way, don't they? But Jesus will tell us that people who characterize him in that way are in danger of committing the most deadly mistake, which is the unpardonable sin. Now, my hope and prayer for us today is that we'd be encouraged by the way that Jesus handles the false accusations of the world since we ourselves have to face them as his representatives here on this earth. Amen? Amen. So Mark chapter 3, and we'll start with verses 20 and 21, and Lord willing, we will make it all the way through the chapter. So the word of God, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his Mind. And so let's pause right there and talk first about how believing in Jesus is not crazy, it's the same thing to do. And so Jesus is there, he's at a house, and there are multitudes and multitudes following him. They're there with him. The Bible says that crowds had gathered. The crowds were gathering because Jesus was changing lives. And these people were hoping that Jesus would touch their life, that Jesus would change their life. And so Jesus is there, all of the people are there, and he's busy ministering. He's so busy that he doesn't even have time to take a lunch break. And so when his family gets wind of this, when his family hears that he's got this crowd of people following him, and then on top of that, when they hear that he's appointed and ordained 12 apostles, which takes place earlier in chapter three, these men who are going to be his official representatives to go out and tell the world about him and to tell the world to believe in him. And then when they hear that on top of all of that, that he's skipping meals, they begin to really freak out. They start to think that Jesus has lost his mind. They start believing, well, maybe that Jesus has become some sort of religious nutcase. Maybe he has become some sort of religious fanatic. I mean, I could just imagine them saying, he thinks he's the Messiah. We've got to help him. We've got to do something. We've got to take charge of Jesus. Now, the Greek word for take charge is krateo, and it means to get possession of, to seize, to arrest, or to take hold of. And so his family is thinking, hey, Jesus, he, he can't take care of himself anymore. And so we need to step in. And we need to take care of him. Jesus is no longer in his right mind. He's actually out of his mind. Now, my wife and I know what it's like uh, to take care of someone who's not in their right mind. Uh, recently, we spent a season caring for a family member of mine uh, who was just not in their right mind. And so we had to protect this person because they were a harm to themselves and to those around them. We had to make sure that this person ate their meals because unless we brought the food to this person and brought the fluids to this person, they would not eat and they would not drink. We had to administer the medicine because if we didn't do that, 
then the medicine would not have been taken. So we know exactly what it's like to take care of someone who's out of their mind. You wanna just take hold of them and, and watch over them, and that's what's going on here. Jesus' family, he's not eating any food. He's got all these followers. He's sending people out to tell people about him. And so they think that he's gone crazy. They think that Jesus has gone mad, but they're terribly mistaken. Now, what's incredible to me is that Jesus, his own family, didn't even believe that he was the Lord. But that's exactly what this text is teaching. And there are other places in the Bible that echo this same reality. Check out John chapter seven and verse five. It says, even, in his, even his own brothers did not believe in him. And so Jesus' own family thought that he was crazy, but it doesn't stop right there. His own hometown thought he was crazy too. You guys remember in Luke chapter four, Jesus returns to Nazareth, the place where he grew up, the place where he went to school, the place where he worked. And he goes to Nazareth and he goes into the synagogue. He's the guest speaker, kind of like I am today. He's the guest rabbi. And the scroll of Isaiah is presented to Jesus and he unrolls it. And he finds Isaiah chapter 61 and he begins to read where it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me to preach the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll, the scroll and he gives it back to the attendant. And then he says to those who are sitting in the crowd, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they're just like, what are you talking about? Today, that this scripture is fulfilled. And they start looking at each other. And they're saying, who does this guy think he is? Isn't he Joseph's son? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Who does he think he is? The Messiah of the world? And so they think that Jesus is a nut job. And so they take him to the top of the hill in which Nazareth was built on, to the edge of the cliff to throw him off. So his family thought Jesus was crazy. His own hometown thought he was crazy, and it doesn't stop right there. Listen to the Apostle John in chapter one, verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So his family, his hometown, his nation, the Jewish nation, his own, and even the world thought that Jesus Christ was crazy, did not recognize him and did not receive him. Now, I think it's important to remember that it's not unusual, rather it's biblical for our family, for our friends, and even for the world to think we're a little bit crazy for believing in Jesus Christ. It's a biblical thing. Now, if you're crazy apart from believing in Jesus Christ, that's your problem, okay? But, <laughs> but for believing in Jesus Christ, it's not an unusual thing. I have a relative who tells me that if he ever sees me out sharing the gospel, he's going to throw a tomato at me, you see? It's just, it's how they treated Jesus and it's how we're gonna be treated at times as well. Jesus himself says it like this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 25. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, me, Satan, Jesus, if they call me Satan, how much worse are they gonna call the members of my house 
hold. And so that's what Jesus has to say about that. Now check out this quote I got from the Daily Mail from a gentleman by the name of Michael Polkovich. He says that Jesus is a mythical person that never existed, and I quote, Jesus is a fictional character invented by followers of Christianity to create a figure to worship. And so what is this writer saying? He's saying, you're crazy, just like Jesus is crazy. See, the world thinks that we are the mistaken ones. The world thinks that we are the crazy ones because we say things like purity before marriage is good and right. And what do they say to that? They say, you're crazy. You should be able to do whatever you want to do, have as many partners as you want to have, live like an animal because you descended from an animal. We say things like, the Bible says homosexuality is wrong. Homosexuality is a sin. And the world says to us, you're crazy. You're a hater and you're intolerant. We say things like recreational drug use and drunkenness. That's a sin. That's wrong. The world says you're crazy because that stuff's a lot of fun. We say Jesus Christ is the only way to God. They say you're crazy. There are many ways to God. There are many paths to God. We say there is a hell because Jesus spoke about the existence of hell. And they say, you're crazy, love wins. Now I have a quote from a relative of mine on Facebook who wrote to me, and I quote, there is no Christ. I know you read the Bible, and it pains me to think that you can believe such a fable. So what is this person saying to me? He's saying, you're crazy, just like they said about Jesus. But let me assure you of this. Our faith is no fable. And believers in Jesus Christ are not crazy because Jesus was not crazy. Jesus was the sanest person who has ever lived. He's the God man. And he really did come down from heaven and live a sinless life. He really did go and die on a Roman cross. He really was buried in a rich man's tomb. And he really did rise from the dead. And I want to give you two proofs proofs that you're not crazy for believing in Jesus Christ. And the first proof that I offer to you is the faith of the apostles. So after Jesus Christ was killed, the faith of the apostles, the hope of the apostles also was killed. They were hiding in an upper room during that three days, thinking that we were wrong about Jesus the whole time. And we are the ones who are going to be killed next. And so they're hiding out, they're freaked out that the Jews are going to come and get them. But over the course of the next 40 days, some incredible events begin to unfold. Because within three days of Jesus' death and burial, he would rise from the dead and he would appear to those apostles, proving to them that he was who he said he was, that he was the God man, that he wasn't some nut job just running around saying, I'm God, I'm God. No, he proves it by rising from the dead. And then he proves all of his promises, the promises of eternal life, the promises of forgiveness, the promises of glory, the promises of his kingdom, of ruling and reigning. He proves it by rising from the dead. And then on the day of Pentecost, he pours out the gift of the Holy Spirit. And these 
men who were scared for their lives are now emboldened. And now they're courageous and we see the apostle Peter standing up on the top of a rooftop in front of thousands and thousands of people preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. There was a transformation in the life of these men. They would all give their life for Jesus except the apostle John and that's because he would not die. You see, these men went from being weak and afraid to just standing up fearlessly proclaiming Jesus Christ. That is a proof that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and that believing in him is not crazy. I like the way Peter puts it in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories. In other words, we're not crazy for believing in Jesus, and I like that. So the second proof that I offer to you is the life transformation of those who believe in Jesus Christ. Our testimonies, your testimony, your experience of the risen Savior, my experience of the risen Savior. You're looking at a man who 10 years ago took a needle and jabbed it into his vein and injected drugs to get high. You're looking at someone who should be dead. You're looking at a dead man. You're looking at someone who should be behind bars, but I'm not. Why? Because I had an encounter with the risen and glorified Savior, Jesus Christ. He is alive. Amen? Amen. He is alive. He's changed my life and he's changed the life of millions and multitudes and multitudes of people who have put their trust in him. We're not crazy for believing in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, before I believed in Jesus, before I knew him, before I had that encounter with him, I was crazy. I was a nut job. But then when I put my trust in him, I became sane, at least I think. Right, honey? <laughs> She's smiling, so that's good. Okay. So your family, your friends, the world, uh, they might think you're crazy for believing in Jesus, but guess what? The world, they're the ones who are crazy. They're the ones who are upside down. It's crazy not to believe in Jesus Christ because he is alive, because he is risen from the dead. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we can't allow other people to hinder us from walking with Jesus and from living courageously for him in the world today. Imagine with me for just a moment if Jesus allowed his family to thwart him from God's calling on his life. Imagine what wouldn't have happened. Jesus did a lot of good while he was on the earth. He delivered so many people from the oppression of the devil. You know how many scores of people were possessed by demons in the New Testament? And then they came to Jesus and he exercised their, those demons out of those people and their life was transformed. How many people came to Jesus with an infirmity, with a sickness, with a disease, and then Jesus would just reach out his hand and touch them and boom, he gives them their life back. That would have never happened. How about the cross? that he was nailed to, that, that Roman cross that he hung on for six hours, bleeding for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. If Jesus would have caved in to the opinions of his family and the world around him, there would be no salvation for you and there would be no salvation for me and there would be no salvation for the people who have ever lived. 
You see, ladies and gentlemen, if we allow the opinions of non-believers around us to govern our lives, then you and I will never do what God has called us to do. And that would be crazy. Amen? Amen. So let's move on. Let's look at verses 22 through 30. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. So we talked first about how believing in Jesus is not crazy. It's the same thing to do. And now let's talk about how believing in Jesus isn't evil or wrong. It's actually good and right. Now, I can think of a couple of groups of people just off the top of my head that think that it is an evil thing and it is wrong for you to be a believer in Jesus Christ. They think that it is a sin for you to worship Jesus Christ as your God and as your Savior. The Jehovah's Witnesses come to mind. The Muslim community comes to mind. Those groups of people do not believe that Jesus is God. And the fact that we worship him as God, that's a no-no. And so that's taking place today, and it took place during Jesus' time. The teachers of the law, the law being the Old Testament, these guys were like the seminary professors or the theologians of their time. The Bible says that they came down from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was built on the top of a mountain, Mount Zion, Mount Moriah. And so anytime anyone left Jerusalem, you're coming down because you're going down a mountain. And anytime anyone went to Jerusalem, they're going up to Jerusalem because you're going up to a mountain. So they come down, they show up at the house, and they essentially are saying that Jesus is changing lives by the power of Satan. So they're calling Jesus evil. And by so doing, they're calling all of his followers evil. And so they give Jesus the name Beelzebub, which is just another nickname for Satan. And Beelzebub means Lord of the flies and Lord of the dung heap. Okay, so that's what they're calling Jesus, Lord of the flies and Lord of the dung heap. Now, I can think of no creature that I think is more disgusting on the face of the planet than the fly. Now, I know that flies have a purpose because God created them, but I don't like them. I think they're disgusting. I mean, you never know where a fly's been, right? And usually, they like to land right on you. You know, you ever been taking a nap on the couch? It's a nice day. You're laying on the couch, and you're resting, and you hear, and it lands right on the top of your lip. It's just disgusting. Now, where we live, we live over by Taylor Mountain, my family and I. 
And Taylor Mountain is surrounded by cow pastures. And wherever you have a cow pasture, there is going to be an abundance of flies. You guys read the book of Exodus where God sends like the 10 plagues? One of the plagues that God sent was the swarm of flies, okay? And Pharaoh was so grossed out by the flies, he was like, get these people out of here. I'll do whatever it takes. So these flies, just let me vent for a little bit about the flies, okay? <laughs> because I talk to my wife all the time. And so anyway, so this is important to me. I just need to get this out. So the flies, it's not just my house. It's a whole neighborhood thing. They're everywhere, okay? So... It's only during the summer. So we go to our house, okay, and I'm coming up the steps, and on the wall, you know, on the porch, on the wall, there are all these flies. They're everywhere. They're just waiting to get inside of my house. And so if you open the door, you can ask my family, or if you leave the door cracked a little bit, there will be hundreds of flies, and I'm not even exaggerating, in the house, okay? To top it off, if I leave my car window open, okay, I've gotten in my car, you know, we left the window open and they're in my car everywhere. I'm just like, no. And then it gets worse, okay? Could you just, they're on the hood of my car, right? And I'm driving, I'm leaving my house and they're on the hood outside of the car, just chilling, just looking at me. I can't, I've tried everything to get rid of the flies. We tried the little bag, the little smelly bag, that didn't work. We tried the zapper, you know, it's like 30 something dollars. We're like, we're gonna get them, they're gone. That didn't work. The only thing that worked is the fly strip, you know? They just, they love to land, it's really disgusting, but it works. One time I put a fly strip up and I just wanted to see how long is it gonna take for me to get a couple flies? And it was like within a minute or two and there were flies landing. It was, oh my goodness. So, so flies, disgusting, I hate them. You've heard my whole spiel on them now. They're calling Jesus the Lord of the flies. That's a pejorative nickname. Lord of the flies, Lord of the dung heap where the flies come from. That's horrible, that's wrong, that's evil. Now. Matthew's account gives us a few extra details about this particular story in chapter 12 of his gospel. It tells us that Jesus had just healed a man who was, who was blind, he couldn't see, he was mute, he couldn't speak, and, and on top of all of that, he was possessed by a demon. And so de- Jesus uh, heals this man, it's a miracle, something that no ordinary person could do. And so the people start thinking, hey, you know, maybe this isn't an ordinary guy. Perhaps he is the Messiah. I mean, wouldn't you think the same thing? But these teachers, the teachers of the law, they didn't want to admit that. They didn't want to give the glory to God because they're too self-righteous and too prideful. I mean, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, they say it was the devil. And we see this in our lives today. I mean, supernatural, something supernatural has taken place in our life. There's been miracles. There's been transformation. You know, someone who was a drunk and a a druggie now has sobered up. Someone who was sexually immoral and promiscuous has now devoted their life to purity and holiness, now committing their body to God and their heart and their mind and soul. Someone who cursed like a sailor is now praising Jesus like a saint. Someone who stole from the IRS and cheated on their taxes is now giving to the church. All that happens and people are like, 
uh, they don't want to give the glory to God at all. They'd rather give you the glory and give you the credit or, or actually question you like you did something wrong or that something is wrong with you. I remember calling a friend on the phone after I got saved, a friend from my old life, and and began to share with him what Jesus was doing in my life. And he said, Jim, what's going on in your life? You're so different now. It's, it's kind of weird. Almost like something evil had happened to me because now I was a, a good and upstanding citizen and I was going to church and praising God. It's a strange thing. People don't want to admit that the changes that have happened in our life are the, are, have come about through the work of Jesus Christ. They don't want to admit that because then they'll have to submit to the Lord. They'll have to submit to that truth and submit to that reality. And that means that they would have to give up their sin. It means that there would have to be some repentance. And people just don't want to do that. So Jesus, he's going to rebuke these teachers uh, by use of a parable. A parable is just a, is a, it's a story that illustrates a spiritual truth. And so Jesus said, hey, you think I'm Satan? That doesn't make any sense because why would Satan attack himself? If I was Satan, why would I be attacking myself and my kingdom and my work? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Now, when my kids were much younger than they are now, I used to grab their hands and I used to take their hands and I would smack them on top of their head. And I would say, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? And then my kids, they would laugh hysterically because it was so ridiculous. They would never hit themselves. It makes no sense whatsoever. So too with Satan. He would never hit himself. He would never attack himself. You guys know the US Marines. Could you imagine the Marines doing an all-out assault on a U.S. Army base. No way. That makes no sense. That's ridiculous. So too with Satan. He's not going to attack himself. Now let's talk a little bit about our enemy. Let's talk a little bit about Satan. The Bible teaches that Satan has a kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says that Satan is the god of this age, lowercase g. He has a temporary kingdom. His kingdom is temporary because the one who has the eternal kingdom and the eternal reign and the one who is the god of all ages is going to come in and wipe him out. That's Jesus Christ, of course. So he has a temporary kingdom and of course every king and every kingdom is going to have an army. And so Satan's army is an army of demons. And Ephesians chapter six says this, that they are rulers, they are authorities, they are powers of the dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So he has this organized army, an army of generals and, and captains and sergeants and privates, these demonic, evil, wicked spirits who at one time lived in heaven as angels and worshiped God, but decided one day to rebel against him. And of course they lost and were cast down to the earth. So Satan, he has a, a kingdom, he has an army, he's organized, and this organized army and kingdom has a mission. And they have a purpose 
And Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 that that mission and that purpose is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. To kill your walk with God, to destroy your walk with God, and to steal your walk with God from you. To rob you of the abundant life that Jesus Christ has for you. And so Satan, since he has a mission and he has a purpose, he's not going to attack himself. He's not going to be self-defeating. He's not divided either. Because if he was divided, he would get absolutely nothing done. I mean, look at Congress. When they're divided, (laughs) nothing happens, amen? So too with Satan. If he was divided, nothing would happen for him. But you can tell in our world, if you're looking around, that Satan is alive and, and well, You can tell that Satan is not attacking himself, that he's not divided, because look at all that is being done to to further his cause. How many abortions will take place in our world today? That is a work of Satan killing a little child. How many families have been broken apart? Kids growing up without a father. Husbands leaving their wives for another woman women leaving their husbands for another man. That is not the work of God. That is the work of the evil one. How about all of the false religions who don't worship the true, the one and only God, Jesus Christ? That is a work of the evil one. He is alive and well and wreaking havoc in the world, not attacking himself. He is not divided because that would make absolutely no sense. Now, Jesus calls Satan the strong man, okay? Now, have you guys ever heard of the world's strongest man competition? Yeah? Okay, so basically what the world's strongest man competition is, is they get together the biggest, baddest, buffest dudes on the face of the planet, and they have a series of events to figure out who the biggest, baddest, buffest dude on the face of the planet is. And just for fun, I'm going to give you a couple of the events. So one of the events is the fridge carry. So what they do is they have two double door fridges, okay, uh, combined weight of about a thousand pounds, one's on each side, and these fridges are connected by a crossbeam. And so what the guys have to do is they have to get between these fridges and put that crossbeam on their shoulders, and they have to lift it up. And then they have to walk for 90 feet with these fridges on their shoulders. Now, I have a hard time getting up and walking to the fridge sometimes, (laughs) let alone carrying two fridges on my shoulders. Now, another event, last one, is the Atlas Stone. So this is crazy. So they have five spherical stones, just boulders, ranging in size from 220 pounds all the way up to 350 pounds pounds. And these guys have to pick up these boulders somehow, and they have to hoist them up and place them on raised platforms. And some of those platforms are like shoulder height. I mean, this is crazy. These are some strong dudes. These guys are freaks of nature, doing things that ordinary people like you and me cannot do. I mean, I wouldn't stand a chance against one of these guys. Could you imagine me going up against one of those guys? It would be over in a split second. So Jesus, he calls Satan a strong man. Satan is a spiritual strong man, a super powerful evil spirit whom we are no match for in and of ourselves. 
2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 says that Satan has taken the whole world captive to do his will. He's the strong man. He has taken captive the whole world captive. And he wants nothing more than for you and I to think that we're helpless, that we're hopeless, that nothing will ever change, and that we're gonna be stuck in our sins forever. And there's nothing that we can do about it whatsoever. But Jesus Christ wants us to know this. He wants us to know that he's stronger, that he is truly the world's strongest man, because he is the God-man. He is God who became a man. So he really is the world's strongest man. He is the creator, whereas Satan is the created one. And Jesus tells us in this parable that he came to bind up, to tie up the devil, and to, take, to set free his captives, to take his possessions. And, and what are Satan's possessions? People, human souls, people like you and people like me. And so Jesus came to render the work of Satan ineffective in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, Satan, one last thing about this evil enemy of ours. Although he may be running loose right now and causing a lot of havoc in the world, you don't need to worry and you don't need to fret about that because the Bible speaks of his end. Satan's day is coming. Revelation chapter 20, when Jesus Christ returns in glory and power to establish his kingdom, he takes the devil and he has him thrown into the bottomless pit, into the abyss for a thousand years. And then after that, the Lord takes Satan and casts him into the lake of fire where he will spend all of eternity. Amen? You rejoice about that? I do too. So Jesus, he rebukes and corrects these guys with this parable, essentially saying, hey, I'm not changing lives by the power of Satan. I'm not evil. I'm changing lives by the power of God because I am good. Now, after that, he says something that's so profound. It's so life-changing if you grab a hold of it. He says this, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. Will be forgiven them. That's a powerful, powerful statement. I still remember when Pastor David Leppard from Coastside Community Church in Pacifica, California said this. He said, heaven is for murderers, heaven is for thieves, and heaven is for adulterers. And the thought that came to my mind was, really? Heaven is a place for people like that? Heaven is a place for, for a person like me because I've done all of, all of those things, if not indeed, definitely in thought. And the answer to that question is yes. Heaven is a place for murderers. Heaven is a place for thieves and for adulterers. Heaven is a place for sinners. It's a place for people just like you and just like me. But heaven is not a place for just any sinner ladies and gentlemen. Heaven is a place for sinners who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Because the sinner who trusts in Jesus Christ has their sins washed away by his blood. The sinner who has trusted in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of everything they've ever done. 
And the sinner who trusts in Jesus Christ receives the gift of the Holy Spirit and their lives are transformed from the inside out. And so that's good news for you and that's good news for me because we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. We can all say that we've done things that we're not proud of, that we've done things that we know God would call us on the carpet for. But Jesus says this to you and to me, you can be forgiven, you can be changed, you can be transformed by trusting in me, by looking to me, amen? Now, does that sound like an evil thing? Does that sound like something someone evil would say to you? I can forgive all of your sins, everything you've ever done, and you can come into my eternal kingdom? No, it doesn't, because it's not. You see, believing in Jesus Christ is not an evil thing to do. It's a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Because when you trust in him, you get all of this, the forgiveness of all of your sins. And that is so precious. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus does say that there is one thing, there is one sin that can keep you from heaven. And that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's called the unpardonable sin. Jesus himself says it's an eternal sin, a sin for which there is no forgiveness, a sin for which people go to hell for. And so a person commits this sin by characterizing the spirit of Jesus and his work as evil. And so for us to understand what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, we need to then understand who the Holy Spirit is and what his work is. Now the Bible teaches us that God is a trinity, that he is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons and yet he is one God. These three persons are of the same essence, each one being fully God Yet there is one God. Now this is a mystery to us and it's hard for us to understand. But you know what? I don't want just some God that I can understand. I don't wanna just make up some God that I can wrap my mind around. I want the true God. I want the God who reveals himself to me. And this is who God has revealed himself to be. The Godhead, the Holy Trinity, and he reveals that to us through his word. And so the Holy Spirit, he is the third person of the Holy Trinity. Now the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us, Jesus being the second person of the Godhead, he tells us in John chapter 16 what the role and the work of the Holy Spirit is in salvation. And he tells us that the Holy Spirit, that he convicts the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment to come. And so the Holy Spirit, as the gospel is being preached, he speaks to the heart of human beings. He can speak down into the souls. We can speak to the ears, but he can speak to the heart. And so he's letting people know as the gospel is being preached, hey, you are a sinner and you do need a savior. Hey, you are not righteous on your own and there's nothing good that you can do. You need the righteousness of Christ. And by the way, the world is going down. It's gonna be judged. This this ship is sinking. You need to switch teams, come from Satan over to God. 
And so the Holy Spirit, his role ultimately is to bring glory to Jesus Christ, to testify about Jesus. And so what these guys were doing is they were, they were calling the Holy Spirit evil. And by calling the Holy Spirit evil, they were, they were saying that his work was evil. And what is the work of the Holy Spirit? To testify about Jesus. And so by these guys saying the Holy Spirit is evil, what they were doing in essence is rejecting Jesus Christ because that's what the Spirit is doing. He's testifying about Jesus. And so by rejecting Jesus Christ, they're rejecting the only source of salvation because without the shedding of blood, without the shedding of his blood, the blood of Jesus, there is absolutely no forgiveness of sins. And so by rejecting Jesus, they're dooming themselves for eternity. And so the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit ultimately is the rejection of Jesus. It's the sin of unbelief that a person carries on throughout their entire life. It's not our sins that send us to hell. It's the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ because Jesus died and paid for all of our sins and offers us that salvation. But if you reject that, then that is an eternal sin, a sin for which there is no forgiveness. Now, this is not some one-time thing. It's not like you can just say, oh, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit and then, oh, that person's doomed for all of eternity. It doesn't work like that. Uh, my good buddy, Chris, with Bread for Life, years ago, we were out at Wednesday night market, downtown Santa Rosa on 4th and Mendocino, sharing the gospel. We had crowds of kids all around us, high schoolers and young adults, and we're telling them about Jesus. And I struck up a conversation with this young man and it was real heated in a good way. And uh, he asked me, is there anything I can do? Anything at all? that Jesus wouldn't let me into heaven. I said, well, you did mention that there is you know, one sin that you could commit that will keep you from heaven. He's like, what is it? Well, I said, it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And right after that left my mouth, he said, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit, as loud as he could. I took a step back just in case, you know? <laughs> okay. <so. laughs> no, but that's not how it works. You don't just say that and then that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the attitude of your heart that you carry on throughout, carry with you through your whole life. Uh, just a settled rejection of Jesus that you hold on to until the day you take your last breath. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're here today and you're worried that maybe you've committed the unpardonable sin then maybe you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I have good news for you. you. You haven't because if you're worried, that's a good sign. Because if you had crossed that line, then you wouldn't even give a lick. You wouldn't even care. And so if that's you today, all you have to do is change your mind. Become a believer in Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Call upon his name. And for you, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, we can never assume that someone has committed that sin as long as they are alive. We have no idea. We cannot see their heart. See, and I think the scripture teaches us that as long as a person is still alive, as long as there's, lung, there's breath in their lungs and there's a beat in their chest, that there is still hope for them. Look at the story of the thief and the cross. He's on, 
He's on his deathbed and that's when he gives his life to Jesus Christ. So it's never too late. Now, believing in Jesus, so believing in Jesus, it's not evil because Jesus is not evil. Believing in Jesus is the right thing to do. It's evil though not to believe in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So verses 31 to the end and it'll go real quick. And then we'll be out of here. Then Jesus' mother and brother arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. And they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, Jesus asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So we talked about how believing in Jesus isn't crazy, it's the same thing to do. And then we talked about how believing in Jesus isn't evil or wrong, it's right and good. And now let's talk about how believing in Jesus doesn't make you an outsider, but rather an insider. Now, an outsider is someone who doesn't fit in, someone who doesn't belong, whereas an insider is just the opposite. They fit in and and they belong. Now, the world, in its antichrist posture, considers Christians as outsiders. They say that we don't fit in because we don't jive with the spirit of the age, because we're not going with the current of culture, and because we come against the world's morality, and because we come against the world's philosophies about man and the world's philosophies about God. But in all reality, Those who embrace the world's system and ways, they are the ones who are the outsiders. Because the world and its ways, they are passing away. It's all gonna happen when Jesus Christ returns in glory, in the clouds of heaven. When he comes back to establish his kingdom on this earth, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of holiness, and a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of which he will reign over, a kingdom in which he will reign from Jerusalem. And so the world, they are the ones who are the outsiders. Anyone who's not on board with that plan, they are the outsiders. Now, there are two groups of people in this world, those who do what God wants and those who don't. Those who are going to heaven and those who are not. Those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside. And so you might ask that question in your heart, well, how do I become an insider? How do I do what God wants me to do? What is God's will? Well, Jesus answers that question for us in John chapter six and verse 29. He says, this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to believe in the one that he has sent. And who did God send? His only begotten son, Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus Christ doesn't mean you just give this intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel. Oh yeah, Jesus died, yeah. He rose from the dead, yeah, yeah, that's cool. No, it's a deep trust in your heart. A deep trust that impacts your day-to-day life. Now you'd think out of all the people in the world that Jesus' own family, that they would be the ones who were on the inside. But that's not what we see in our story. We see Jesus' family standing on the outside. And that's because family ties will not get you into heaven. Because at this moment, Jesus' family, they were not believers in him. 
Now, I just imagine in my mind that if Jesus' family had died in that state of belief as non-believers, I just try to imagine in my mind Jesus' brothers standing before the throne on judgment day. And they're standing before Jesus and they're saying, hey, hey, Jesus, I, I know we didn't believe in you while you were on the earth. You know, it was kind of hard. We were related. But, you know, we are related though. You know, we have the same mom. You know, we're blood. We grew up in the same home. We ate at the same table. We went to the same school. We, we, we hung out at the same playground. So, so what do you say, Jesus? Can we come into your kingdom? We're family, right? You know the answer that Jesus would give to them? No. Because family ties do not make you an insider in God's kingdom. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home. It doesn't matter if your mom and your dad are Christians. It doesn't matter if you have a relative who's a pastor or a minister. What matters is that you personally put your trust in Jesus Christ, that you acknowledge him to him, that you tell him, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died and I believe that you live. Be my Lord, be my savior. That's what makes you an insider. Now what's cool about Jesus' family, Acts chapter one and verse 14, and we're just wrapping up, tells us that Jesus' family, that they changed their mind, that they became insiders, that they became believers in Jesus Christ. Two of Jesus' brothers ended up becoming leaders in the church, James and Jude. And they would go on to write letters that we have in our inspired New Testament. And if you scan those letters, and if you look through those letters, obviously the, la- the letter of James and Jude, you will find no mention of family ties whatsoever. They don't drop the name Jesus like, oh yeah, he was my brother, you know, we hung out, it was cool. No, you don't read any of that because they know that that doesn't mean anything. The only thing you read about in there is how Jesus is the Lord and how Jesus is the Savior. Amen? Amen. So maybe you're here today. You have family, they're believers, friends who are believers, but you yourself, you've never taken that step. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never become an insider. I wanna exhort you to do that today. The worship team's coming up right now and and while we're singing, I would just exhort you to close your eyes and, and pray to Jesus, he's alive. Ask him to be your Lord and savior. Ask him to make you an insider. You see, when you do that, you'll you'll be a recipient of all of the blessings of becoming a part of God's family. You get brothers and sisters. We're all brothers and sisters in here. All over the globe, you get a family. Your big brother, Jesus Christ. You get a father in heaven who's looking out for you, protecting you, providing for your every need. The Holy Spirit living inside of your heart, transforming your desires, giving you a purpose on this planets. You see, believing in Jesus, it's not crazy. It's the same thing to do. And believing in Jesus, it's not evil or wrong. It's right and good. It'll change your life. It'll change your destiny. And believing in Jesus, it'll, it'll make you 
an insider. So I exhort you to do that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, which is inspired by you. I pray that you would draw each one of us during this closing song so much closer to you. Bless us, Lord, as we reflect on your word and, and the words of this song. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can stand for the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.